Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because my money don't jiggle jiggle, it folds. I'd like to see you wiggle wiggle, for sure. But, regardless of how you know me, you know I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies! Welcome to the show, everyone. Recording, as always, at Thickness Central. And welcome, friends, new and old, to Season 3 of Mike's Thick Stack. Buckle up, because this will be a longer episode, as I do an episode of three weeks' worth of books. Ordinarily, I wouldn't start this way, but there are significant stories that started my brand new number ones, and it's nice to have a fresh start. I'm also going to start dropping books from my list for a little bit to help the show get out more on time. I'll keep certain things the same. There will always be Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, Thor, Captain America, Wonder Woman, Moon Knight, and Nightwing solo titles, as well as Justice League, Avengers, X-Men, Fantastic Four, and more. There are other solo and team titles as well, but know that those are core titles that I'll always cover. I'll also cover most events from now on. But because the show isn't sponsored yet, hint, hint, Marvel and DC, I do have to be careful about how I spend the money. When I can expand again, I definitely will. As always, we're going to go ahead and start with the city shoutouts. Hey to those in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Welcome back to our friends in Ashburn, Virginia. Hell yeah, I want Philly Philly. What's up, Philly? What's going on to our friends in Dublin, Ireland? Welcome back to San Antonio, Texas. Hi to our new friends in Sabadell, Spain. And of course, last but not least, our friends in Knoxville, Tennessee. Thanks for listening and coming back. And now, friends, we're going to head on over to Mike's Thickometer. Oh, yeah, Mike's Thickometer. So thick, I call it Thicky Henderson. This week clocks in at a 10 out of 10. An absolute unit of thickness, everyone. This week features a massive 29 books from a combined three weeks. A hell of a kickoff to season three. This week, the stack has a DC advantage, so we're going to go ahead and get started with those DC books, starting with Action Comics number 1042. The War World Saga continues, and there's a Martian Manhunter story. I gave this a three and a half out of five. Clark leads a bunch of people enslaved on Warworld in an outright revolt against Mongol. Despite being depowered, he uses his greatest attribute. He inspires people to be the best version of themselves, which isn't being enslaved to fight for Mongol's pleasure. Clark squares up with Omak and then Mongol, but once he gets the Genesis Fragment, it seems like something big is happening on Earth at the same time as on Warworld. In Martian Manhunter, Jean learns to accept being himself and not run around disguised as human. Pros start with the art here. The Warworld stuff starts with being incredibly visually striking. Some of the facial work with Lois is kind of off, but it's still gorgeous overall. Cons include including a smaller story, it's going to be a theme here, and also the anticipation of a bigger, stronger story on the horizon. It feels like this arc has been about breaking Clark down to his essential elements, but that hasn't really happened. He just has no powers. 
The second story hurts the book overall because to tell bigger stories with the extra pages or put out a Martian Manhunter book, uh, it's just a waste otherwise. Up next, we have Batgirls number six. The Spellbinder arc ends and sets up something unexpected. I gave this a 3.25 out of 5. The Batgirls fight to overcome individual problems and reunite to stop Spellbinder's plan. Babs fights back against the perception that she's helpless without her legs and overcomes fear gas. Steph fights back against the notion that she needs to be fixed, and Cassie overcomes a mob and saves Grace the reporter in the process. Steph makes a sacrifice play, destroying their car in, in an explosion, almost dying in the process. At the end, we get an unexpected appearance from Seer, who needs the Batgirl's help. Pros are the weird art style. For some reason, it just hits with me. I really also like knowing how they overcome their problems and get together to solve the big issue. The cons are how sometimes you lose track of who is who and what is happening throughout the course of the story. A little bonus here coming up next, Dark Crisis number zero from Free Comic Book Day. This was the first peek into Dark Crisis. It's a three out of five. So I missed Free Comic Book Day, but my store had a bunch of these extra left over. So there are histories of the Justice League on display in a story here, and then a direct preview of Dark Crisis that starts with Nightwing eulogizing the Justice League. Then we see the villains of the world flexing a little with there being no clear Justice League on site to hold them back. Then we get a tease of the history of the DC Universe and all of its crises over time and how it's led to this. The pros are that I feel like Josh Williamson has a really big story to tell, and this sets all of that up. The cons are, are that for a free comic book day book, we get a lot of smattering of incomplete teases or a story that sets you up to get excited for something that's coming months down the line. This wasn't exactly it for me, but it was free, so it was for me. Now we have a look at Dark Knights of Steel number 6 of 12. Halfway through the story, this team sets us up for some big fantasy-inspired action. I gave this a 4 out of 5. The two kingdoms are preparing to go to war, and it's not really great. Tim Drake is outed by Constantine and sent back to his kingdom. The elves are blindsided by the news that Zara has killed Jefferson Pierce. Batman is still missing, and Cal goes to try and stop the war before it gets going by going to Amazonia. He doesn't stop it. He gets stabbed and then interrogated by Lois while bound by the Lasso of Truth. Meanwhile, the Amazon army has already set sail for war. The pros are that this style of the DC Universe is so fun to read, especially if you're into fantasy-style stuff. The cons are, for me, that Cal is almost a little too hot-headed and goes against the overall version of who he's supposed to be in, in most versions. I feel like he's more closely aligned with the New 52 version, but it's still pretty cool to read overall. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1055. Again, two stories, a Riddler-centered story, and then a Gotham Girl-centered story. I gave this a 2 out of 5. Riddler is doing broadcasts to try to win the people of Gotham to his side while simultaneously trying to blow up Deb Donovan's daughter, who is a judge. Bruce checks on Caroline, uh, Deb Donovan's daughter, uh, in the hospital and then gets to work as Batman. Something is clearly up as Batman corners a guy who kind of kills himself in a corner. Not kind of, actually does. Turns out Caroline might be dirty as the story ends. 
Then in Gotham Girl, uh, she ends up in her own mystery as the guy who has been basically asking her out relentlessly ends up dead in his art studio and she finds him. The pros of that, I love the commitment to broke Bruce Wayne in this issue. The costume is also pretty great here. The cons are that this story feels inconsequential. Same with the Gotham Girl story. Up next, we have Future State Gotham number 13. Nightwing finds some allies and searches for those once believed to be lost. I gave this a 2 out of 5. Here is a possible drop candidate. Nightwing has taken a drug called Brain, B-R-A-N-E, and it's opened his mind to the fact that Bruce didn't die in Future State and that Damien is also alive out there. They team up with Talia and rescue Bruce. Then they go after Damien while Nightwing breaks up a hush meeting of the villains. Damien is discovered and is now going by Batman 666. The pros are how the pencils and inks are on display alongside the story. The lack of colors really draws you in for some reason. The cons are that it kinda undoes everything laid down by Future State, which is disappointing. It's also not exactly a fun book anymore. Now we have a look at Hardware Season 1, Number 5, the penultimate issue in this season. Curtis struggles with some daddy issues, but still works against Alva anyway. I gave this a 3.25 out of 5. Curtis saves Asher from the explosion at the end of last issue, and Asher sets him up to move against Alva. Meanwhile, Curtis is dealing with the relationship that he had with his dad, coupled with the fact that he's barely rested since the title started. Alva has a Bakari, and she's playing verbal chess with him as Reprise moves against Hardware, who is going after Alva. Pros are the art team. Whatever it is about the Dennis Cowan, Bill Sienkiewicz combo that makes me so happy, it just, it just works. I like the depth that is given to Curtis in this issue as well. The cons are that it feels like the pacing of this issue was off. I like the story and what Brandon Thomas was doing, but it felt like maybe as a penultimate season issue, this should have been the time to drive towards the season finale rather than slow things down and look back. Next up, we have I Am Batman number nine. Jace's crush helps him break a case wide open. I gave this a four out of five. This issue is a Jace sandwich. Batman on the end and Jace's life in the middle. Most notably, Jace finally gets around to calling Hadea. She takes him to an art museum, which helps him crack the code on a case that he's been working with Chubb in the NYPD. They're dealing with some overt racism on the side of the NYPD, too. Because of Batman's new perspective, they break this case open, but there's a huge caveat. The mayor might be dirty. The pros start with the art on this book. It's such a good look for a New York-based Batman, and Ridley writes the hell out of this book. Cons are that some of the Fox family drama feels like filler instead of interesting supporting character drama. Now we take a look at Joker number 14. Jim returns to Gotham and faces some consequences, and Punchline gets a backup story from Joker War. I give this a 3.75 out of 5. Jim comes back to Gotham, and he feels like he doesn't recognize it anymore. He flashes back over and over to what happened with Bane, Vengeance, Joker, and Cressida. Over and over again, it seems like we get evidence and dodging about whether he killed Joker. He gets home and Batman confronts him and asks that very question. In Punchline, we find out how she created a messed up guy that she poisoned with Joker gas. The pros for this book are how this Gordon story has developed. 
it's really taken some turns that I feel have been fun to read, think about, and discuss. The con again here is the punchline stuff. I'm just over it and am in no way intrigued by this character. Just give me more of the primary story instead of this nonsense. Oh, by the way, this is the penultimate issue for this book. Next time it will, we talk about it will be the last time we talk about the series. Now we have a look at Justice League number 75. The story is called The Death of the Justice League. So, I mean, you know. Gave this a 4.25 out of 5. The Justice League incarnate summons the Justice League to deal with the threat of Pariah and his dark army with Darkseid at the helm. The League does some serious work and it looks like they have the day one, but Ollie dies at the hands of Doomsday and it's the start of a downward spiral. The Trinity is killed. The Justice League incarnate is killed. In fact, most of the players die about halfway through this issue. Only Black Adam survives long enough to crash back down on Earth and warn that the League has been killed. The pros are that this looks incredible, is a riveting read, and fulfills the promise of the name of the issue. Home run here. I'm just curious about where it's all going to go after. The cons are that a few did survive, notably Black Canary and Black Adam. And Pariah is still out there. I'm just hoping their survival gives them a bold role in this next event. Also, I don't like how this messes with continuity because all the books are all over the place compared to this as a starting point. I wonder how they'll fix it. Okay, now we're going to cover all of the Shadow War event. So these are going to be out of alphabetical order, just so you know. Shadow War Part 3, Deathstroke, Inc. Number 8. I gave this a 3 out of 5. Deathstroke and Respawn go into hiding. While they attempt to lie low, Talia and Bruce unexpectedly hook up, and her demon's shadow brings her raptor, who is working for Deathstroke, Inc. Batman sets him free, and then he runs to warn Slade. Slade's peace doesn't last long because Rose and Damien show up. The pros are the pacing and misdirection of the writing here. The cons for me are with the art. It just didn't fit the story for me. It looks cool and works for Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz, but this isn't that. Now we have Shadow War Part 4 in Robin number 13. I gave this a 3.75 out of 5. Ravager and Robin face off with Deathstroke and Respawn until we get the revelation that Respawn is Damien's brother. But instead of being a mix of Talia and Bruce, he's a mix of Talia and Slade's DNA. Damien is happy to have a brother, but then Respawn attacks him. Again. They fight until Batman shows up, and then get interrupted by one of Slade's men. He's been taken, and then he gets killed, and Slade sees the opportunity to get free by throwing a grenade at the innocents. Batman and Robin save them, and then Batman apologizes to his son again, and begins to work with him as they hunt down Slade and erase his killer together. Pros are that I like the revelations in this story, as well as the art much better than the Deathstroke Inc. issue. Cons are that it feels like they stop to chat a little too much between brawls. It's a weird feeling. Finally, Shadow War Part 5 uh, from Batman number 123. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. A lot of action in this one. Batman and Robin, LLP, that's a joke from the issue, are on the track of Gamby, and after dealing with some traps, they find him tranquilized on the ground. They come face to face with Slade's impersonator. Meanwhile, Ravager and Respawn go with Slade back to the scene of the crime where they're ambushed by a bunch of ninjas with guns. 
Slade gets cornered, but then rescued by Respawn, who's cradled in Slade's arms at the end of the story, basically looking pretty dead. There's also a backup story about the fight between Batman and Deathstroke, where Deathstroke gets gassed by the Joker toxin. It's an okay story, but I would prefer more Shadow War, personally. Pros are that the story really cooks in this issue. Lots happens, and it feels like it's thundering towards something good. Cons are the art in the additional story. More Shadow War would have been a good thing, and in addition, the art was too close to the first story for me. Cool, but just not my style. Now we have Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 11, a ton of cameos, and Bendix and Lex make their move. I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. Batman tries to warn John about Jay and his associations. John talks to both Nightwing and Jay about the accusations and gets more of the story about the revolutionaries while Batman talks to Pa Kent about his relationship with Alfred. John meets up with Flash and the Atom after discovering the implants by Bendix, which John finds a way to defuse. Clearly this makes Bendix nervous, and he forges ahead with his plan. Pros for me is how this felt like a classic Marvel book with all of the cameos from other heroes. It's smartly written, and at the core, it's still John's story. Plus, it looks really good to me. Cons are that I wanted more and didn't get it. Give me more pages. Now we have a look at Task Force Z number 7. This is all about the Laz Resin Baby. I gave this a 2.75 out of 5. The team is back together, helped by a diluted Lazarus resin. They add Copperhead, Madam Crow, Grundy, and Zaz. Mr. Freeze steals the resin and then disappears. They need more, and it looks like they need to try and get it from Batman. Pros are how this team is expanded and the art with all the zombified villains. It's so much fun to deal with. Cons for me are that the last few issues it feels like it's meandered a little bit. This might be a drop candidate soon. Last two titles here on the DC side. Teen Titans Academy number 14, a future state plot point comes to fruition. I gave this a 2 out of 5. Kid Flash, Red Arrow, and Roundhouse all graduate from Teen Titans Academy. Meanwhile, a surgery has taken place to combine Cyborg and Beast Boy so that they both survive, which I really don't like. Stitch tries to take her Young Justice Dark on a mission to rescue Nevermore, but ends up on Apocalypse and joins the ongoing war there. Pros are the inclusion of some of the young heroes for this book. I love stories with certain members of the Titans overall. Cons are the book feels too jumbled for it to remain fun. In all honesty, if not for the fact that the next issue is its last, I would be dropping this book. I also really hate the combo of Cyborg and Beast Boy. It's not really fun, and it takes away a super cool black hero from the DC Universe. I'd rather both had actually died, sadly. Finally, we have Trial of the Amazons, number two of two. The Amazons fight a period and unite all banners. I gave this a 3.75 out of 5. The Amazonians all fight Aperion, who has been freed from Death's doorway. They wage a serious fight, but Antiope and Atalanta pull Aperion back through the door and opt to guard it from the other side, which is an unbelievable sacrifice. As the Amazons rebuild, Diana pulls Yara aside and gives her a tiara made from several tiaras and officially names her Wonder Girl. At the end of all of this, Nubia will be crowned the Queen of the Amazons after all. Pros are how fun this book was to look at and read. I know multiple creators involved, but I specifically love the Joelle Jones stuff. 
Kaza that I'm not sure we're done with Aperion, and we really could be. All right, after a quick break, we're going to do something special here, and I'm going to drop an AMA. Stick around. Hey, everybody. It's Mike from Twisted Cape. Do you like wasting time at work? We do. Uh, if, if you want to waste some time at work, hopefully not get caught, you should check out thetwistedcape.com. We have a bunch of satire stuff. We have some opinion stuff, some review stuff, a whole bunch of stuff, and other stuff as well. Uh, we have some contest stuff and some other fun stuff. Make sure you check it out. Uh, at your leisure, at any time you want, www.thetwistycape.com. We'll see you there. Stay twisted. Hey everybody, Sam here from The Twisted Cape. If you haven't already done so, be sure to check out The Twisted Cape's Tee Public page, which we have live right now for you to purchase any and all of your clothing needs with Twisted Cape logos on them. We got shirts socks maybe wow we got other shirts with hoods on them and they have longer sleeves so we got everything you could ever want with twisted cape logos on them so again please be sure to check out the twisted capes t public page check out the link in the description and be sure to pick up your favorite stuff right now thanks everybody and now back to mike's thick stack yeah, we're back. Hopefully you enjoyed your little break and a word from some of our friends. Uh, now I'm just going to do a quick AMA. We put it out on Twitter. Uh, so I'm just going to drop this as part of the episode, and then I might cut it out later and uh, drop it as a bonus segment as well, because this episode is going to be really long. So first off, I heard from Casanova Frankenstein, a good friend of the pod here. And he asked, with the success of the MCU, do you think we will see more things from the movies impact the comics? And if so, is that a good thing? I believe that yes, we will. And no, that is not. There's a there's something later on coming up in this episode, if you're listening to Mike's Thick Stack, uh, that will pretty much answer that question head on. Next up, our boys over at What's Your Spaghetti Policy podcast ask a question what's an underappreciated marvel movie non-mcu that is typically disliked but you think is actually pretty solid that's a tough question only because now a lot of those movies are going to end up being canon uh and i'm gonna go with ghost rider man ghost rider is really fun i mean it's not doesn't take itself too seriously and uh you know it's just kind of fun and i really enjoy the darker nature of that part of the Marvel Universe. It's penance there, baby. Let's go. Another question here from the None of My Friends Like Comics podcast. They ask, what is your favorite non-superhero comic? Um, right now, I'm just kind of digging a little bit of Why the Last Man. That's a good, that's a good book. I also really like Bitch Planet. And I also like Paper Girls. Um, I've, I've been recommended those by multiple shows, multiple friends, um, and they've all been really fun. Our good friend Ian at Jawa Breaker asks, Peter versus Miles versus Miguel, all in base suits, who wins? I'm guessing Miguel, right? I feel like Peter is a great Spider-Man, Miles is a great Spider-Man, but Future Tech kind of kills anything that we have now. It's just, it's just too good. If the powers are the same, essentially, and 
Miguel has future knowledge. I'm sorry. I just feel like he wins that. Our good friend uh, Blando. <laughs> his name here is so good. Blando over indulgence of pizza. Uh, man, he just has some of the best, some of the best names in the game. Uh, what are your, what are some of your favorite comic book adaptations that are not Marvel and DC, and why? Uh, Kick-Ass. The very first Kick-Ass movie. If you read Kick-Ass at all, that series is wild and insanely violent. It doesn't quite do it justice because the book gets away with far more than the movie does. Uh, but it was good. It was good. Uh, we got some friends here uh, at Stew World Order, SWO Productions on Twitter. Uh, who's your favorite? Who's your third favorite X-Man, sixth favorite Avenger? And fourth favorite member of the Justice League. All right, so I'm just going to run down those numbers. My favorite X-Men is Iceman, and then Storm, and then probably Cyclops. I mean, that, that list gets gets wild and weird. Uh, if you'd gone deeper, I probably would have had some, some crazy-ass answers. Um, sixth favorite Avenger. All right, so it's, it's Thor first. He's the fucking coolest. Uh, then Cap. Uh, Quicksilver. I loved Quicksilver. No, I'm going to take that back. Uh, Thor, Cap, Hawkeye, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Vision. Comics Vision, not TV Vision, not Movies Vision. Comics Vision. Read that shit. It's amazing. Fourth favorite member of the Justice League. All right, so I mean, this is kind of unfair here as well because you have the Trinity at the top. Like, and it, it almost doesn't matter what order you put them in. But Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman—that's my—that's my order of the three. After that, I kind of want to go with someone like Green Arrow, just a regular dude shooting bows and arrows. I love archers. It's weird. I have, I'm weird that way. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's it. Lots of good questions. Thanks for doing this with me, everyone. Uh, if you're just listening to this pulled out as a special release, thanks for listening. Maybe go check out my stick stack. If you're listening to this in the episode, stick around some words from our friends and from us, and we'll be back with the Marvel books. Hello, I'm Anthony. And I'm Dr. Issues. And we're the hosts of Capes on the Couch, the podcast where comics get counseling. Superheroes don't always get to go home happy. That's where we come in. We offer psychiatric and mental health evaluation of comic book characters. We also chat with some of your favorite creators. Al Ewing. Erica Schultz. Gail Simone. Philip Kennedy Johnson. Chris Claremont. About their work on comics. So check out all our episodes at capesonthecouch.com and follow us at Capes on the Couch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hashtag, Hashtag because, because comics. comics. Hey everyone, Jesse here from the Twisted Cape. If you're a fan of video games like me, and also a fan of the fantastic dude bringing you this podcast, then boy do I have the thing for you. Join Mike on Tuesday nights, and sometimes other nights too when he feels like it, on our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash thetwistedcape. He plays through all sorts of superhero-related video games for your entertainment. Be sure to also give us a follow on Twitch, and if you're feeling extra generous, go ahead and drop us a subscribe and join in on the chat. And now, enjoy the rest of the episode. Alright, we are back yet again. Super long episode. Hopefully you're enjoying yourselves, because I am. 
we're going to start the Marvel books with Amazing Spider-Man number one. Just got relaunched. It's Legacy number 895. A new beginning for Peter after the on story focused on Ben Riley wraps up. I gave this a four out of five. This issue is covered in disorientation. Peter's done something that's caused him to be alienated by everyone in his life. May, MJ, Randy, and Johnny Storm has more of a criminal underworld flavor to the villain in Tombstone and the Rose. And Peter's being hounded by almost a loan shark type of collections guy. Most interestingly, the issue ends with MJ and a dude named Paul and two kids that run up to her and call her mommy. Pros are that I really like bringing Spidey back down to a street level crime story. I also love the art here, and I think this is really some of the best work of John Romita Jr.'s career, and definitely his best Spidey. Cons are that massive feelings of disorientation here from the placement in the story, and also the fact that Peter's kind of a dick now, it just doesn't really fit the character for me. Next up, we have Avengers Forever, number five, a multiversal tale of doom. Start the Doom counter, everyone, because I'm going to say it a lot. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Doom is still universe hopping with his multiversal masters of evil. Say that five times fast. As his team starts to squabble over what they do with Earth, Doom is collecting dooms and subjugating them all for building a massive force of dooms. This particular Earth's doom is a Doom-Man-Thing hybrid, which is honestly kind of metal. It gets more metal when you realize that Doom has Doom things. Oh, that's weird to say. I'm going to keep saying it, though. Has Doom things eyes, eyelids removed. He eventually submits, and you realize Doom is on a living planet Doom with an army of Dooms. I have no idea what he's planning, but it's going to be massive. Pros for me are the depths that Doom has gone to so that he can achieve his goals. We know that he's willing to take God's powers to win. Doom only knows what Doom will do with an army of Dooms. The art in this was mesmerizing at times, just flat out gorgeous to pair with the story. The cons for me lie in Doom's allies. He was so good in this issue that I'd almost rather not have included their petty squabbles at all, but this is minor overall in the scheme of this issue. Now we have Banner of War Alpha, the kickoff to the crossover event between the two Donny Cates pen titles and 60th year celebrations of Thor and Hulk. I gave this a four and a half out of five. Do you like ultra powerful character fights? Do you like super cool synopsis to get you up to speed? Do you like breathtaking art? Do you like a little bit of body horror? Great, you'll love this issue. It has all that and more. Might be the most fun I've had with a crossover in a very, very long time. Pros are basically everything. Character designs, story, art, writing, splash pages. Holy shit, there's an incredible series of splash pages in this issue. Cons for this book, and it's a stupid one, is how short it feels. This book should have really been big, and it felt like a quarter of the size. Leave them wanting more, I guess. Now we have Carnage number two. The Carnage symbiote continues to play the field. I gave this a three out of five. I'll be honest up front, this is a cut candidate for me. I'm trying to just see how I like the story, uh, and the story focuses on a serial killer named The Artist and his desperation to connect the, with the Carnage symbiote, and the symbiote's simultaneous interest in Detective John Shade. 
Carnage and the artist work at first by pulling Hydro Man apart at the molecular level before Shade interrupts them. He gets sent to the hospital and has a miraculous recovery due to some symbiote help. It's interesting to see a symbiote court two possible hosts. The issue ends with the artist and Carnage cornering the spot, the character of the spot, not like a bar or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Pros are the Carnage symbiote's motivation is incredibly interesting to me. I also love the coloring in this book. It's so cool. The cons are that I'm really concerned that maybe this isn't interesting enough to keep on my poll. We'll see where we stand after an arc or two, but I do love Ramvi's writing in general. Now we have Iron Man number 19. Tony Stark is at his lowest point and Korvac comes back. Gave us a 3.25 out of 5. Tony's alienated all of his friends, has given up cosmic power, and is now on morphine withdrawal. So of course, cosmic powered Korvac shows up to beat the hell out of him. And he does. He whoops on him cosmically powered and then powers down to just be a dude and whoops him that way too. Tony, in fact, is so pathetic to Korvac that he takes him to the hospital to get him help after beating his ass relentlessly. It's kind of unclear what happens to Korvac during the issue. I'm unsure if he flies away or steps off a building ending himself. But Tony gets better, goes to rehab, amazingly with Patsy and Frogman in his corner. Pros start with the art and how expressive the eyes are in this issue. It wouldn't have been sold without that detail. Cons with the ambiguity around Korvac's fate, but based off of the disclaimer at the end with the suicide hotline number, it seems like he definitely committed suicide. It is definitely in, in line with the tone of the series. Now we have Knights of X number one spinning out of Excalibur. The mutants form a new team and head back to Otherworld. I gave this a 3.25 out of 5. Captain Britain has been riding around Otherworld rescuing Witchbreed, aka mutants. Betsy needs help and gets transported to Krakoa where she assembles a team that rides into Otherworld and immediately starts ripping shit up. After running game on opposing forces, they are approached by Mordred and it gets revealed that they are questing for the Siege Perilous. Pros are that I liked how we got a reason for the crew to run back into Otherworld and not necessarily be bogged down with the Excalibur mission, and I love quests. The action sequences are incredibly fun to look at. I also like the continuation of the Arthur lore in this book. Cons for me are that Jubilee had to be separated from her kid yet again. Why are we doing this? Anyway... Next, we have Marauders number two. The Marauders abandon Earth for the cosmos to continue their mission to rescue the first mutants. I gave this a three out of five. Kate's team squares off with Eric the Red, but they end up being blown into space as a result of that fight. Cassandra Nova squares up with Eric the Red one-on-one, -on -one, all while Magistrix Zandra is simultaneously learning about and protecting an ancient Shi'ar secret that could spark war with the mutants of Soul. Pros are the creative use of powers, and I go back and forth on the art. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't, but overall it's pretty strong. Cons are the Shi'ar part of the story. I'm not sure I love how that's going so far, but we're only two issues in. Now we have a very anticipated title for me, Moon Knight Black, White, and Blood number one. There are three Moon Knight stories illustrated exclusively in black, white, and red. I gave this a 3.75 out of 5. There are three stories. The first is a futuristic Moon Knight with a priestess of Khonshu and a desolate galactic future. 
Second is a Spidey Moon Knight team-up dealing with ghosts and an Anubis. Finally, there's a Memento-style story that's told backwards. If I were to rank them, it would be Spidey Story, and not just because it's the best possible team-up, but it's the best story, the backwards story, and then the future one. Mostly discussing the Spidey Story, it's a perfect Marvel team-up. Jokey Spidey and Moon Knight with no time for that shit. We get a battle with ghosts and Anubis and Moon Knight's bone armor. Plus, Spidey borrowing Mooney's jacket is a great thing at the end of that story. The other two are kind of straightforward, but they are fun nonetheless. The pros of the last two stories from a writing and an art perspective. They're great stories and really hit the spot for me. The cons were the Hickman uh, Bacalo stories because I wanted it the most. I love both creators for what they've done on other stuff. And that story and the art really didn't just just didn't do it for me. Now we have Miss Marvel Beyond the Limit number five. This Miss Marvel mini makes its final issue. I gave this a two and a half out of five. Kamala faces Karen, a shapeshifter, and someone from another universe bent on killing Kamala. Kamala teams up with her friend Bruno and Nadia, and even Doctor Strange to stop the rampage and send Karen home to her universe. Kamala is still being stalked as the series ends. The pros are Kamala's characterization. There's a reason she's so relatable and it makes her so likable. The art in this issue makes her endearing as well. Cons are how this story felt like it dragged over five issues. As likable as Kamala is, this story never felt like the pace was pushed in a positive way and it doesn't feel like a satisfying ending. Here's hoping the next series over the summer works out a little better. Now we have Shang-Chi number 12. Shang-Chi squares up with his paternal grandfather, Chieftain Zin. I gave this a two out of five. This is another drop candidate. I liked this book before, but now with the book taking on the MCU version of the Ten Rings, I'm kind of out. We'll talk more about that later. Anyway, Shang-Chi gets the Ten Rings and fights his grandfather, who can also use the rings. Sounds oddly familiar. He then talks to his maternal grandfather, who helps him with the rings. He defeats Chieftain Zin, and the Five Weapons Society goes in its different directions, and then the Ten Rings come back to Shang-Chi at the end of the issue. Pros are that I love the art in this book. It's really slick and fits the book so well. For the most part, I really did enjoy the story, but cons, and this is going to be a little ranty, I like the MCU. Most people do. I like it being self-contained and the Marvel Universe being its own thing as well. My biggest problem is when the MCU or DCEU on the DC side start to influence the comic universes. In fact, I full-on fucking hate it. The Ten Rings have Marvel lore, deep Marvel lore in fact. There is no good reason to dumb down your incredibly awesome universe to make it match what it was on the big screen or small screen or whatever. It's frankly disrespectful to the audiences that you have established. I don't care if you utilize costumes or introduce new characters from the film universes, but there's no reason to make this change and it's disappointing enough for me to stop reading this book. I'm really hoping that's not the future direction of this book. Moving on to our final two Marvel books here, Thor number 24, Legacy number 750. Thor and Asgard say goodbye to Odin in this oversized issue. I gave this a 4.75 out of 5. This oversized issue pays tribute to Odin with some of the most prolific Thor writers of all time. Thor reflects on his father and has some struggles at the funeral. Stories featuring the Corbinites, 
Mangog, Balder, and Loki reflect on their relationship with Odin and how he has shaped so much with the Asgardian culture from his role as Allfather, being a father, and the fact that he wasn't always the best. Interestingly, we discover that Thor has a will and his body is to be dropped on Saturn where he can be with the strongest possible storms in the galaxy. It ends with an interesting twist. Odin's spirit has merged with a reformed Mjolnir and that Valhalla has been destroyed. Pros were so much of this. The creative teams, the stories told, the size of the issue, how everything came neatly together, and how it sets up what's coming in the book. Cons are I was mad when it was over. Thor is in my top five Marvel characters, and despite being oversized, I loved every bit of this issue. Finally, we have X-Men number 11. It's a heist. You son of a bitch, I'm in. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Jean, Rogue, Polaris, and Wolverine, Lara, infiltrate Game World and discover the bets are placed on the worlds to be destroyed and that Earth has been targeted. Meanwhile, Sink and Cyclops are hunting Dr. Stasis, who they find. He knows that Cyclops is Captain Krakoa, and we discover that Stasis is a sinister clone at the end. On Game World, Polaris gets a stunning new dress, and Wolverine gets taken over by Cordyceps Jones, who's running Game World. Jean flexes her considerable telepathic ability, but gets seemingly taken over as well. Pros are that this feels like the most X-Men of a story to be told in a while. It was really fun and multifaceted, and I just enjoyed it. Cons are that I don't know how I feel about the mojo angle. It just kind of feels off to me. Okay. We're at the end of this long episode, but not before I do my new favorite part, the weekly ranking, 1 through 29. Here we go. 1, Thor number 24. 2, Ban of War Alpha. 3, Superman, Son of Kal-El number 11. 4, Justice League number 75. 5, Amazing Spider-Man number 1. 6, X-Men number 11. 7, Dark Knights of Steel number 6. 8, I Am Batman number 9. 9. Avengers Forever, number 5. 10. Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood, number 1. Whoo, what a top 10. Now we move on to the next 10, 11 through 20. 11, Joker, number 14. 12, Robin, number 13. 13, Trial of the Amazons, number 2. 14, Action Comics, number 1042. 15, Batman, number 123. 16, Batgirls, number 6. 17, Iron Man number 19, 18, Hardware number 5, 19, Knights of X number 1, 20, Free Comic Book Day, Dark Crisis number 0, and now the bottom 9, Marauders number 2 at 21, at 22 you have Carnage number 2, 23 you have Deathstroke Inc. number 8, 24 you have Task Force Z number 7, 25, Ms. Marvel Beyond the Limit, number 5. 26, Detective Comics, number 1059. 27, Shang-Chi, number 12. 28, Future State Gotham, number 13. And number 29, Teen Titans Academy, number 14. Woo, what a list. As we start to wrap up, if you want to be on the show, hit us up on Twitter at SpiderMike29 or at The Twisted Cake. Looking ahead to next week, I'm looking forward to reading from Marvel, Savage Avengers number one, Fantastic Four number 43, and X-Men Red number two for starters. And on the DC end, it's Batman Superman World's Finest number three, Batman the Knight number five, and Nightwing number 92. 
follow us on all socials youtube twitter facebook twitch instagram maybe only fans you never know all at the twisted cape no spaces and a link is in the show notes we do a weekly show on youtube and we stream on twitch at least once a week as far as all the others if you follow us we follow you in return if you really like us in our shows feel free to grab some of our merch from t public which has a link in the show notes finally feel free to shoot us some feedback on this show to the twisted cape at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line mts thanks for tuning in so until next time i got a knack to relax my mind stay safe wear a mask please get that vaccine if you haven't and most importantly stay twisted Thank you.